Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Stop where you are, let's pray. We ready to go, Mary? Good to go. Let's pray. First Sunday in Advent, everything's purple. Almighty God and Lord, we beg you, come to us with all your power. Help us who are anxious and troubled. Send your Holy Spirit to us, your helper, and let us anticipate your Savior, that he enters our hearts and illumines them with light. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, good to see you. Thanks for coming out. Oh, there's a scad of work to do today, but the first thing to say is uh, Christmas Sharing Week. I know that you often sign up for things at the last minute because you have very busy lives. Carol's going to need help every day this week. If you can help this week, that would be fabulous. Um, She's going to need several people each night to do different things. The schedule is back there. It's also downstairs. If you can come out and help, that would be good. If you actually told Carol that you would we're coming to help, that would, um, she would sleep better, okay? So here we go, right? All right, this is an interesting, this will be an interesting morning. If you haven't been, you know, I'm going to talk about what happened this morning a little bit. If you haven't been to church yet, it'll ruin it a little bit, but um, it'll all be okay. I've actually come to welcome talking about money at St. John because you're so good at it. In In a sense, I have to tell you, I'm very, it's almost exhilarating for me now kind of in the way of Breaker Morant, that movie I told you to watch at the end where the guy is tied to the chair. They're going to shoot him. They say, any last words? And he says, shoot straight. You know that that movie? You haven't. Well, he says more than that, but I can't say more than that in church. So, um, you know, there's sort of of an exhilarating focus with, um, you know, coming this morning. But it is, I think what I want you to see is that things are so good, but they're also so good and cut with kind of no room for air, so we need to kind of work that out of the equation. That's what we're going to try to do today. Now, after this morning, if you've been to church this morning, uh, the best idea so far of what to do with the money is two brothers who came out, and they looked at each other, and they said, you're poor and I'm poor, and they were going to switch bills <laughs> and then write me a receipt. So fortunately, their parents have intervened. Uh, but we do appreciate the creativity. I just want to say, you know, the ability to think on your feet is a valuable skill. So, you know, um, first, I guess, I'm going to try to actually kind of stick to my, uh, stick to the, to, to, the, to the outline today because um, there's so much to do. Uh, so I called Eric Maldry, who has done all of our artwork for all of our capital campaigns, also did the sign outside, and he indulges me. So... The story behind this is we've talked for a long time, in the years, actually, about the right time, and then suddenly the governing board said, okay, let's go. So I called Eric and said, you know, um, you know, take some time and do this. But I know the cool thing about Eric is I get really great stuff, but I also know um, if I give him um, six weeks or if I give him six minutes, because artists kind of the creative burst, right? So um, he came up with this. I'd given him this text. We can read it a little bit later about doing things that are ordinary and then that are extraordinary. We want to kind of unpack that over the next few months and see where that takes us. But I actually want to start by saying thanks. Um, You know, I've said this to you before, but it's actually true, and I notice it most when I go to other churches, that this is the church I always wanted to belong to, right? This is the church I always wanted to be part of. And, you know, even this morning, um, you got the old liturgy, and everybody just sang like crazy, right? So, I mean, it was just showing off. It was almost kind of embarrassing, right? (laughs) Uh, and then some of you, you know, some of you Lutherans actually slipped into four-part harmony. And, uh, you know, it wasn't lost on us. We, we knew. So, you know, it's kind of, it's just kind of, you come to church, and I miss it most when I go somewhere else. So I, I always am glad to come back to you just to see you and kind of the liveliness and, and all the things that are going on. So 
Thanks for that. I did, you know, second point. It didn't happen by accident. And I know a lot of you have worked hard for many years. Um, a third of our congregation is of active members right now are, are new since the last time we had a capital campaign. I've got the numbers for you later, something like 160 families out of um, 470. We, we sort of count active by, you know, if you come to church, um, if you're around for stuff, there's a kind of a formula for it. But we sort of, in our own minds, count about 470 families. 159 of those families are new since um, we moved into the building. So that means there's this large group of families who may not have the history. But you who were here, you remember what a struggle this was. Just for you who weren't here, we got bigger, and then we decided that we would move east, and almost providentially properties began to come open, and we had four or five properties on the block east of us. Then our friends here, and we had an extraordinarily good relationship with the Bible Church, said, hey, we're moving, and they basically sold us this for the price of the dirt, not for the price of the building. It was almost um, you know, miraculous. At the time that we moved here, lots, bare lots in Wheaton were $500,000 a piece, and that's what we paid for the lots that we bought. We paid $5,000 per lot. We didn't really pay anything for the building, right? And then this providential thing that happened when we have to sell a school and nobody wants a school, and the, the appraisal was $1.7 million, and a school comes to us and says, we'll give you $2.7 million. I mean, these are the kind of things where you kind of go... You know, how does all this work together? And then, you know, this gradual understanding of how money works and, you know, all the things we've tried to do to help. You know, what we did this morning with alms, we've done in the past with tithing. And gradually it works. At some point in this thing, you'll see a bell curve of the giving in the church. It's fat in the middle. Most people are between five dollars and $15,000 in the congregation, which is exactly where you want to be in a congregation. It's quite remarkable. I want to encourage you if you're on the one end of the bell curve, and I don't want to discourage you if you're on the other end, okay? Don't, don't revert to the mean. If you're low, revert to the mean. If you're high, don't revert to the mean, okay? So, I mean, we'll talk about But in any case, if you're, if you're, when you look at that, that's a sign of great health in a congregation. And I also want to say it really makes a huge difference that the pastors, very few people know what you give, the pastors and John Crow, basically, and the one person who records them. So there's about five people who know in the congregation what you give. Um, but that helps us because we know, for example, if you suddenly go to zero, you're either really angry or you've had a tragedy. Usually that means lost a job or something's gone terribly, terribly wrong. So anyway, the point of all this is, is we do a load of really healthy things here in terms of money, and it's been a lot of work, and the happiness of going forward is this isn't from need. This isn't like, ah, uh, ah, you know, it's it's all going to come down on our heads. No, no. If it was all going to come down our heads, we wouldn't give $5,000 to little kids one morning, right? So, but what we want to do is say, look, it doesn't have anything to do. This is what's so interesting about giving in the church. It doesn't have anything to do with, we're going to do this so we, have a, we give to a budget. No, that's not true in the church. Or we even have a goal, um, so we never give anything, but now we're going to buy a new church, so we'll give. no. All biblical giving is proportional to what's been given to you. That's the ordinary life. And occasionally you do something remarkable, right? So I want to explain to you where we are and kind of where we're going and why. But first I just wanted to say, you know, as I put down here, it's been millions of dollars and years of hard work by an awful lot of people. And I'm very grateful for that. And when you think about it, you know, sometimes it's painful to think about it. um, But mostly it was very, very remarkable. And so we're in a very good place. I would rather be here than any place else. And we know it. I mean, we pastors know it. The staff knows it. We talk to other pastors. 
you, we know what the score is. And I kind of want to talk to you about the score just a little bit in the broader church. But in any case, I did flip the page. So at point number two, things are, actually things are going really, really well. And people, mostly staff people, and as far as we can tell, lay people are pretty happy. And things are efficient. And you know, things are ongoing. Glance up in the, you know, there's pipes in your pipe organ partway down today. It's very nice to look up there and see that. It's beautiful, right? And the ink is black. Uh, although we should talk a little bit about electronic giving, if I can nudge you to that. Even now, you know, John Crow says to me things like, I, I go in on Monday or Tuesdays, I say, John, where are we? He's like, he'll say to me, we're a week behind or we're two weeks behind. Two weeks behind is my, like, danger, Will Robinson. If you fall more than two weeks behind, so we get, just so you know, it's about thirty or $35,000 a week comes in. If we get sixty dollars or $70,000 down, it makes us nervous. Now, what normally happens is you catch up at Christmas. And that's actually okay, because I know some of you give because of bonuses. You give because of commissions. Some of you have regular incomes. But I just want to put a pitch in for electronic giving, because it smooths our way. And we always have to plan out six months, a year, two years, three years. What's going to happen? Projects have to be laid out years in advance. And for us to kind of guess at that, it helps us if we have a smooth path. So anyway, the point of this is, is things are actually um, very, very good. Point three, one of the things that's very, very good here is that it's predictable for you. If you came, if you came through the catechumenate, if you've paid attention through the years, if you actually want to know, you know that we kind of go from Acts to Christ's scripture prayer, the liturgy and the Eucharist, tithing and alms, uh, being very merciful and all, letting that all bundle together to be a winsome witness to the world. And over the years, we just go through it. And so if you just even think back to Bible studies over the last five or six years here, look, we've done the spiritual disciplines, we've done scripture, we've done meditation. Remember, we spent a lot of time with that. We spent time with fasting. Probably the only thing we haven't talked about in the last five or six years is money. So things just cycle through, and everybody needs a reminder and um, if you have two brothers who exchange in $50 bills, you have to say to yourself, yeah, it's probably time to talk about money, okay, right? <laughs> so uh, that's where we are right now. These disciplines kind of come to us. And the good thing is here, and I just want to say this, they come to you under the gospel. I'm going to talk specifically to that later because I know that this can always make some people nervous because of how their life might have changed or things that might be happening and 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 so a clear understanding of how this work goes in the way of mercy toward all of you and not in the way of your pastor sort of grabbing you by the ankles and trying to shake the change out of your pockets right yeah that's not the, that's not the deal so um, a few statistics I gave you the active families number our median age is 37 very young for churches, and 26% of the people here are under 19. So a quarter of the congregation under 19. It's pretty start, startling, right? This is of active people. That's an amazing number. So what happens? I'm almost to the bottom under pay, number three. Um, some of you are really good at it. It's really interesting. People have been here 20 years or 15 years. This is just like falling off a log. It's like we do this. This will be, I think, the third CAPCAM we've had. We've done about five stewardship things that have been kind of toward the ordinary. This one is toward maybe an extraordinary thing. But if you've been a member at St. John for 15 years or 20 years, like this is just another chance to play along. And people who are here pretty much get it, right? But we've got to make sure that you get it because you, you're, if, if we haven't done anything about this. We haven't done a CAPCAM since we moved in, 2007. I went back and looked... My first letter to you about Eucharistia was January 2007. 
So 10 years it's been, right? Almost 11 since we talked about this. We probably should have done one sooner, but, you know, I don't know. Um, it is what it is. We're always trying to figure it out. And we're always trying to f kind of take your temperature. We're trying to figure out if you can pay attention. How are things working out? I will tell you, you know, that this will mark a stock market top, as it did last time, right? I remember giving you the big speech about you should give money today because the market's going to crash. The baby Jesus blessed me with a decline in the S&P of about 37%. <laughs> now, hold on to your money if you want, but, uh, you know... Yeah, okay. And we do take Bitcoin. So uh, it's all going to be fine, right? All right, I'm turning the page. Yes? I would be curious to see uh, a little more of the statistics. You know, how many of us are over 65? Or, you know, what's... You're going to have to stay all the way till Lent, Carol, because this is the first, not the last, okay? So hold on. But here's the thing. You know where I live? So, um, and Pastor Bukes is the guy who's doing all of that. He'll put the bell curve together for you. He'll put together the statistics. What, here's, what you, here's what I want you to know, Carol, just off the top of my head. Um, the group isn't as big in 70s and the 70s and beyond, but that group's a very faithful giving group. It's really interesting in this congregation. It's a, they, they, they do a really good job in that group. So. But we'll, we'll give it to you, anything you want. I have it, but I can only do, I only got... 45 minutes this morning. So, But make sure you ask, and any of the rest of you, if there's a specific thing you want to see or you want the numbers crunched in a particular way, we can do that pretty easily, okay? So four, you know, why talk about money? Well, we talk about money so we don't always have to talk about money, right? You talk about it, you get the rules down, you put it on autopilot, here you go, this is what we do. It's all the famous studies that have been done lately about um, why you have people, you automatically opt in people to their 401ks instead of um, letting them choose because... People are slow, and they live with inertia, and if once you get something going, then it works, right? So you've got to think it through, and then you make your decision, and then you don't look back. You know, just a sidebar, the first rule of a dysfunctional family is never say what's on your mind. And I don't know how it was with your parents or your grandparents, but, you know, think to yourself, did you know how much your father got paid or your grandfather? Did they ever talk about money? If they drop dead today, will you know anything more about them than the, key, than the key to the safety deposit boxes in the sock drawer? Of course, you don't know which bank it fits, right? And you don't know where the, and you don't know where the will is. But, you know, it's all worked out, right? The first rule of a dysfunctional family is never, never say what's on your mind. And money is one of the hardest things for Americans to talk about. It's societal. If you go to Africa, everybody knows what's cooking, right? But, but here we're kind of not so good. Well, you need to do enough so that you can feel good about it, um, partly in imitation of Jesus. The two things that Jesus talks most about in the New Testament, believe it or not, are money and prayer. Why is that? Because the two places that Christians struggle the most is money and prayer, right? He's always talking about it. So um, we talk about it too. And it's a fairly simple notion that your life comes from Jesus, so you manage your life well. Your stuff comes from Jesus, you manage your stuff well. And Jesus gives you pretty uh, basic outline for how to do that. Churches, I found, um, aren't very good at this. When I preached the first time I preached on money here, which I thought would be kind of a normal thing for hipster, wheat, and suburbanites, somebody said to me, I haven't heard a sermon. I've been here 30 years, and I've never heard a sermon on money, which I kind of found hard to believe, but, you know, who knows? Um, but, hey, it's, it's normal stuff. We should talk about it. And the more transparent we can be, uh, about that, 
but transparency also comes with, with some level of trust. So not everybody gets to know what everybody gives because they would blow the place up. You couldn't take it. I actually, I've told the governing board members, um, well, I asked them. I, told, I gave them my advice, and I asked them. They're not going to look at, uh, there's only a few governing board members who will know how this will go uh, until Easter. Any, anybody, anybody on the governing board or elders can look at it. But what I want them to do is kind of work through this and get their own number in their head and not be influenced by how much money may or may not be coming in. Same for you. We'll let you know at Easter, but here's the reason why. What you do doesn't have anything to do with what anybody else is doing. What you do is based on what Jesus has given to you. It doesn't have anything to do with a goal. So you've noticed we've not set a dollar goal. We're going to try to set a participation goal is we want every last person of the 400 and, what I want is 470 pledge cards that say a dollar or more what I want is 470 family units to reflect on this and participate right that's, that's, that's what we're going for we don't give toward a goal we don't give toward a number we don't give toward a budget every place in scripture giving is proportional to what Jesus has given you right and the proportion in the scripture is always between 10 and 100 percent so 10% is the normal thing. 100% is the widow's mites or the Acts 2 church, where they, everybody gave everything in, in one big pile. Um, the thing is, is I, you know, I'm not trying to get you to move toward one or the other, but really, last time I checked, giving in the Missouri Center was 2.7% on average. That is indefensible. And I'm going to give you a practical argument. It's actually the reason the church around the world is failing. I'd write a book on this if I had time. But, oh, it's the very next point, so I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you, if you read what's happening in churches right now, when people go to seminary, there's two things that are happening right now at seminary. One is you have people coming out with huge amounts of student loans, $100,000, $150,000 to be a pastor, where their first, I know a guy who just started in the Missouri Senate with a Ph.D. either from Oxford or Cambridge, his salary is $27,000. He has a wife and three kids, right? He's a PhD from, you know, Oxford or Cambridge, right? That is unconscionable. So what's happening is, is people are taking out these tremendous amount of loans. They can never pay them back. And now, because churches are closing, people can't even get jobs. Even in our seminaries, the new thing that they're saying is get another skill because you can't be a full-time, you know, churches won't, can't support you. That is a complete lie, What's true is the churches won't support you, right? But it's not true they can't support you. From our miserliness, this is, I, I could write a book, this simple thesis, the collapse of the church in the Western world is from miserliness, right? People don't give, so we can't pay for, our, you know, our, I just talked to a, a college professor in the Concordia system. He called me because he teaches a double load. So in a normal university, his peers teach two or three classes. He teaches four to six classes every term. So now work this out. You go get an advanced degree. You get a lot of, you, you get a lot of debt. You get a low-paying job, if you can get a job that you can't pay back. You um, get a job where you have to work twice the hours that other people work, which means our smartest people never write books. They can't put the legacy forward. Meanwhile... Parishes feel like they're underserved and they can't get a pastor who can keep ahead of them. And the whole thing is collapsing in on itself. And it's not just Lutherans. Lutherans are kind of the best of the lot. 
Just read around. The whole Western church is collapsing. It's collapsing because people are misers. Present company accepted, right? So you can analyze it in this way, but if you, if you just look at it, the Western church is not going to collapse because of heresy. The Western church is going to collapse because of selfishness, right? And nobody in their right mind would go be a pastor in a place except St. John. <laughs> because in most places, it's low respect, high expectation, low authority, low pay, high anxiety. And you don't take just your, your, yourself into that. You take your wife and your kids into that. And I just, I just want to say, present company excluded, we are very well cared for. The elders here are fantastic. Every governing board has always looked after us, but especially the elders because they don't get reelected, right? So they've gotten to know us. You know, kind of older elders have cared for Kirby. And I, I've asked some of the younger elders to begin to meet with Pastor Nelson and Pastor Bukes on a regular basis to build those relationships so that when I'm not in the picture anymore and some of the older guys maybe aren't around, that they have these very stable relationships with people who they are confident will care for them. We have it. It's, it's fabulous to be a pastor here. I just can't tell you how fabulous it is to be a pastor here. We are by far the exception, right? But in general, and that's because you've done so well. So thanks for that. But in most places, you just read around about it. You know, and when people use the lame excuse that Paul was a tent maker and a worker priest, yeah, he was a tent maker when he was the first Christian trying to get things started. When most people still identify as being Christian and the whole thing is collapsing in on itself, it's pure selfishness, right? And what we don't want to do is get infected with that because that will be the end of you. The reason you talk about money is so you get it straight and then you don't talk about it. You know, of course, in marriages, there's a couple of things that blow a marriage up. One of them is for people who can't agree on money. So I'm, there's this millennial trend to keep finances separate. It makes me so, so nervous, right? Because um, separate very easily goes to secret, very easily goes to waking up one day and go saying, what have you done, right? So, but that's a whole other problem to solve. In any case... Um, Discipline saves the day. I'm right above point number five. Like, this is just what Christians do, and we're going to do it, and we've proved that if you do it well, it'll work out, and please keep doing it. And so this is what's really great is, as I wrote you in the letter, this whole exercise is not from need. It's from opportunity. It's not because things are collapsing in here, like they are at all other churches virtually or all other denominations. St. John is this fabulous place where you've taken seriously tithing and giving alms. We were in a big hole because when I came, there was a lot of financial wreck, and you know we lost a lot of money when the school closed, about a million dollars in the last four years. And you know th- there was a lot of pain and anguish of making everything work and trying to pull everything together in the recession and you know in eight and nine. Here's the great news. That's all in the rearview mirror. Um, so here, here's, here's, here's the basic synopsis. Everything is working, but with very little room for air. So let me just give you an example. John Crow knows all the finances, and there are people who watch him. Stephen Nyquist is the treasurer, and the auditor who does the books for the Diocese of Joliet. I don't pay any attention to the books anymore. It's fabulous. I used to carry them around in my head, a separate set of books in my head, so I could spot things going wrong. But if John gets sick, you know, we're going to scramble to pay the light bill. John used to have a full-time person to back him up. We don't have that person anymore. I used to have a full-time person to back me up, Martha, 
right? Who did, I don't have that person anymore. We're, everything works, but it works with no margin for error. So if anything goes wrong, you know, so that's a little nerve-wracking. And um, the other thing is, is let's kind of focus in. The other thing is to kind of focus out. Like how do we, you know, like the exercise this morning. What's the, what's the, what's the, why do you give $5,000 to little kids? Okay, so that was the tabber this morning. That was a $5,000 bill. Why do we do that? Well, because, you know, it's not just my money, right? Very little of it is actually my money out of whatever the budget is, you know, 1.6 million or whatever. It's your money, and you should have the joy and also take the responsibility of giving it away. The trouble is things are also thin. There's not thin. There's not a lot of money just lying around. But this is kind of a point like, you know what? And it's been, I've learned already doing this twice, I've learned more than I ever thought I would learn about families, about kids, about how they think, about whether they see need. So I've had kids come out and say to me, I'm going to give this to the girl. No lie, this is what's happened at the door. I'm going to give this to the girl who sits next to me in school because she doesn't have any toys for Christmas. I've had that. And I've also had kids say to me, I got no idea what to do with this, right? And so they, they don't see, like, a in whatever their life is, or living in Wheaton, or, you know, one trip to Chicago would cure this, right? They don't see, you know, the needs that are around them. And then, you know, the boys switching the bills, that's fun. And then other people who, you know, have more than one kid, and they all have different reactions at different ages. So the teaching moment is fabulous. And I've, I've learned a lot just doing this twice. It's been quite, quite remarkable so far. But see, this is kind of fun. So we could hire a consultant for $25,000. He could come in and run seminars on Saturday, Saturdays with stale donuts, okay? Or we can just give kids $5,000 and watch what happens. So we're opting for the latter. And the thing is, is I would love, I'm being honest with you, I would love if you took responsibility for giving money away. It would be fabulous. Now, there have to be some rubrics for that and accountability. And, you know, with the kids, we can say there's X margin of error because they're not used to handling money. And, um, you know, a $50 bill can slip, you know, into the washing machine or something. Okay. But we have to be careful. But for you to say collectively, this is what we'll do. So let me just also say this is how it goes wrong. In my first year here, um, there was ten dollars or $15,000 approved for, you know, to give to... Um, poor folks. And like the third week after that budget was approved, the Russians, we were introduced to the Russians, and they said, can you help us? And they were going to buy a church building. And I got a call and said, you know, you're a bigger church. Can you help with this? So I went to the people in charge. So you won't be able to figure this out, so it's not a knock on anybody in particular. And I said, hey, we just passed $15,000. Can we just get a little slice of that to give to the Russians? Because this church is starting after being behind the Iron Curtain for all these years. And the person in charge says, oh, I wrote, I wrote all the checks out already, and I took them to my friends all around town and gave it all away. The whole $15,000 is gone, right? You kind of go, yeah, you know, like it's not my money, but it's also not like your money, right, to just decide to do with it what you want. So we need this collective thing that happens where we decide together where we'll put some money so there are things that we support, and then some money... Uh, where we see a need, and some money in case one of you gets a good idea. So here are a couple of good ideas. Jan Gerzewski just came back from Africa. Pat Brown just came back from, um, from Bethlehem. 
You know, you probably don't even know this, right? I mean, Pat just, she just got back at 10 last night, so her clock is completely upside down. Jan was on the, but here you have two people, and this is one thing we don't do well because we don't have enough time between us to kind of get the media presence up. Here you have two people do admissions in Africa and in Bethlehem, two of the toughest, toughest places to go, right? So what we should always be able to do is say to them, which we did say to Pat, but we didn't say to Jan because we didn't get after it soon enough because we were two weeks behind when Jan left and we weren't two weeks behind when Pat left. So, But I went to Pat and said, here's $1,000. Give it to whomever you want to give it to because when you're on the ground, you know, behind the wall that separates Jerusalem from Bethlehem and everybody, Christians are a deep minority and there's resentment and against the Jews and someone against the Christians and it's all Arab and the Arabs are Christian and Muslim. It's just a... It's, a, it's just everything going on. Believe me, you can find places to give money away. And the only requirement is to bring a receipt back, right? Just let us know where the money went. It's very important to have that much accountability. But on the ground somewhere, especially in a place that's a little more third world-ish, you, it doesn't always work quite the way you think it does. So you see, you see all these opportunities. This is the kind of conversation we should be having. Like, there's this pile of money here, and what should we do with it? That was the Acts 2. So what they did is they sold everything. They brought it to the apostles. They said to the pastors, give this money away, right? And when they gave it away, people were struck that the, that the Christians would care for people outside their own tribe. That was the miraculous, amazing thing. Look at these people who care for others they don't even know. That was a mark of being a Christian. And that's the place that we want to get to. And if we're all faithful in that, then our, our big discussions about money aren't about tithing and giving alms and you know 10% versus 9% versus 2% versus 12%. Then our discussions become... Gosh, do you think, you know, could we send another person to Africa? Should we load up Jan if she goes? Is Pat going to go back again? You know, where's the next person going to go? If kids go on a mission trip, do we give them money to give away? See, there's all these other questions to ask that are so much more fun than saying, okay, is it on the net or on the gross, right? So it's, it's just, this, is, this is the way of growing up, and it's the thing to be so thankful for here. And so that's what I meant in the letter when I said to you, this is from opportunity, not from need. It's not like the place is falling apart. Although there are some things we need to tune up, but it is from the possibility of being the kind of church that Jesus would want us to be, and not the kind of church that can't even keep the lights on. And everybody's always fighting about money. That's the point about um, of talking all this. Y'all good? I'm gonna take a deep breath because I've gone for half an hour without one. Okay? <laughs> Got a question about anything yet so far? Because I'll try to I'll try to talk to everything by the time I get done. Okay? So. You know, why a capital campaign? Well, it's a normal way, you know. If you want to work hard, you can say they had capital campaigns in the Old Testament. The greatest one for me is the tabernacle. Most, you know, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. Now they're going to build a tabernacle, this tent, but it's glorious. You know, think of Persian carpets for the walls and all the implements made of gold and silver and bronze. And Moses says to the people, we've got to build, we've got to build the tabernacle. And the, the text says they brought so much money and stuff that Moses had to tell them to stop, right? If you give me one more thing as a pastor before I die, (laughs) I would like the pile of money to be so big that, you know, it's bigger than the Christmas tree. And I have to say, you know what? You have to stop. Think, pray about it. Okay, pray about it. Think about it, right? Um, If you've been here a while, you've figured out how much fun it is to do this. I mean, Christmas sharing is one of the best 
best weeks of the year. We'll probably give forty or fifty thousand dollars of stuff away this week, and it's so happy. In fact, you know, just so you know, you know, Lindsay always comes to me and says, "Where should we give money this week?" And we talk it over and we kind of ask. So we asked, "Should we give money to Christmas sharing?" And Carol's happy answer was, "We've got all we need." a fabulous hand. Now, what she doesn't have is volunteers, right? <laughs> Apparently, she has big wheelbarrows full of gold bars that need to be moved around downstairs. So we'll need some strong people who can come every night and push those around, okay? So, I mean, you know, it's, um, we have a very nice problem on our hand, but I turned the page, you know. So why do we do it? It's normal life, and we're good at it, and it makes us think about it. But here's another thing for you all, and I always think of this. I always have to show motion, so you always need to see something. In some ways, you know, I hate the fact that the pipe organ got delayed a couple of years, but I actually like it because it's the motion that you see right now. And people are excited when they see the case go up and then they see a few pipes. And the electricians came Friday to hook up the blower, which means at some point, you know, one of you is going to wander in here in the middle of the week and he'll be blowing the first notes out of it and you'll think that that's fabulous. It won't get played until toward Easter because it has to be voiced and everything. But... In a congregation, you know, shiny object, shiny object, right? Let it keep your attention. There's got to be motion. And so if you kind of think back to the 20 years I've been here, there's always the, I'm always trying to show motion. There's always a thing happening. There's always a goal to reach. There's always a new thing we're trying to do, right? Well, there is a goal that we're trying to reach. It doesn't have to do with being like, oh, we're going to die. No, it has to do with like, how cool can this place be? That's what it has to be. So, um, and the other thing is, the last thing, and I've kind of talked about this, we always need a little bit of flex. The governing board always runs into a problem when they uh, pass a spending guide because there's always a large conversation about whether we leave a little money sloshing around, right? So one argument is, no, there should be a very tight budget because it needs to be transparent and well-defined. That's true. The other thing is, though, on, on May you know, 15th, when we have a voters' meeting, we haven't had every good idea that we're going to have for the next year. Somebody's going to think of something. Somebody's going to go somewhere. Somebody's going to say, hey, can you help us? Like, I don't know if you remember about 12 years ago, the Siberians came to us and they said, and this, Russia is so weird because it's so up and down. There are openings and closings, right? Things open and close. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember about 12 years ago they came to us and said, we had the opportunity to buy 40 acres with a building in the middle of a national forest. The government has put these tracks up, and if we build this, we'll have this retreat house where we can have our summer things. Do you remember this? And St. John paid for that. And now every year we pay for the Russians to do basically a vacation Bible school-esque, but it's like it's more like a Boy Scouts plus vacation Bible school plus adult thing. And every year, you know, they get 100 or 150 people in in a nation where you know nobody talked about God 30 years ago, go into a place that you bought, paid for with your money. This is, this is fabulous stuff, right? So we always want to have this creativity. and uh, we, So we don't want so much money slashing around that it's um, not accountable. But we always need a little bit of money slashing around so that if somebody gets a good idea, if somebody says... I want to go back to Africa with Jan, but I, you know, I don't have all the money. You know, I'd like to be in a position to say, well, we can, you know, we can pony up a little bit for you to go, right? And we have over the years, especially with kids, kids who have gone on mission trips, we almost always 
Gosh, I think, you know, if you say I'm going on a mission trip, you, you almost always get a thousand bucks from us to kind of defray your expenses or give away. It's just because we just think that'll change kids' lives, right? So anyway, number seven, you've got to keep two numbers in mind. This is very basic stuff. So we have a mortgage of $3.5 million. That's every, pretty much every debt that we have is bundled up in that. There's a few things hanging around. There's some old, you know, well, it isn't, just think $3.5 million, all right? If you had bigger questions than that, there might be fifty dollars or $100,000 of other stuff that still needs to be massaged. But there's $3.5 bucks in the mortgage. My personal nervousness is that uh, that has to be renegotiated every five years. And my, my personal nervousness is that uh, we have about, we either have two or, John Kerr, are you in the room? Do I have two or three years left till it has to be renegotiated? Three years? So I have three years. So be, my, my own personal nervousness, and I know everybody has an opinion about this, is that interest rates will be higher in three years than they are now. And if they're higher, see, this is the thing about not having flex or not having room to move. If John has to go back, and we're probably at 4% now-ish. Yeah, so if we have to go back and renegotiate that at 6.3, you know, that's going to be a problematic, Right. So for me personally, one of the things I would like to do, and this, this means $3.5 million, just so you know, is about $22,000 a month that we pay the bank. So you take a million dollars off that, you take $7,000 a month. You free $7,000 a month. You take $2 million off, you free $14,000 a month. You take $3 million off, you $21,000 a month, right? This is kind of, I'm broad math, right? So if you, if you knock down, you know, a million or two million bucks off of that, Life changes here because you suddenly have another $150,000 a year to start taking care of other things, right? All right, well, what other things look like? Here you go. Um, so one thing, $3.5 million, keep that in mind. And there's a punch list that's about $2 million long. This is what it looks like, right? We never finished the sanctuary sound system. We have a bid to do it right now for about $100,000. Everything has a number here. Um, we're loaded with kids, right? But, the, I mean, have you been downstairs? Like, really, come on. We should do far better than that. We need flooring. The sanctuary needs to be, we never finished the sanctuary. There was supposed to be more work for walls, front, and ceilings. We just sort of got it up and going. In fact, this morning, I'm at the Eucharist looking down thinking, we, I, you probably don't know this because you're not there. We never put the final coat and finish up around the altar space. The stain is still uneven because of money and time, and we had to move in and all the stuff that's going on. But we're, you know, we've been there, how long have we been there? Almost 10 years, right? Or eight years? And Whatever, we should still, you know, and that's like, duh, we should have that better. Um, the ceiling and lighting for the East Commons, more and more people use that for dinners and for weddings and stuff. So these ceiling tiles right here, as you can see right here, this is a bad idea for all you engineers. Don't have, don't make ceiling tiles that can only be put up once, okay? And if they're old, can't be repurchased, except for $1,000 a piece on eBay. This is a bad idea, Okay. Same ones that were downstairs. I don't know if they're still... But, you know, ceiling and light downstairs. This room, I mean, this room. You know, they used to have funerals in this room. And, yeah, it looks like somebody died in here. <laughs> Try not to look at the water. We're back there where the wallpaper's coming off. These, I think, were bought from a funeral home retailer. Resailer. We like those things. Those are beautiful. You know, this should feel like... This should feel like the private room at Morton's. That's what it should feel like. Like, this should not feel like you could wheel a casket in here and sing Amazing Grace, all right? This, I mean, is this the same carpet you have at your country club? Like, you could, you could chip off this, right? I mean, who picked this color? Somebody who got a deal on it because they didn't have enough money because people don't tithe. So easy to explain church finances, right? 
come on, all right. Um, you know, uh, Craig Scheel, you know, the latest guy to be concussed playing basketball in the gym. Who puts the out-of-bounds line this far from a cinder block wall? So, you know, I played, I mean, no lie, that carpet that's in the gym, I played on that carpet in high school at Bettendorf, Iowa in 1974. It was, it was, it was all the rage in 1974, right? We've had our use. What really needs to happen is you need a decent floor in there that will be good for the kids and for old men who still think they're LeBron James and for Advent dinners. And you probably need pads all the way around the outside, right? Because there are still guys who who are 43 who think they're 23 and they go headfirst into the wall. It's just not a good look for us, okay? So you can see the sort of things that keep me awake at night. You've got to blow up the building next door. I will take bids. I mean, for $100,000, I probably can let you do the Wiley Coyote thing. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, the FBI is busy with both the Clintons and the Trumps. I can probably manipulate this list, and the governing board won't even know. So if you come to me and say, you know, I'll give you enough money to blow the building up next door, I probably can get that to the top of the list, okay? I mean, secretly. All right, so... Um, but we do need to get that building down and get that into green space. Um, just so you know, over the years, people have tried to buy that from us. Um, we've thought about selling it. We haven't ever, you know, there's no parking because the parking is committed to the city between us and, and um, the school next door. So it's probably just going to be green space. Every once in a while, somebody has a good idea until they get into the logistics of it. I mean, I've thought about buying it myself and saying to Kirby, we'll build a house there and live there. Oh, did I mention this to you? I probably didn't. I, so I thought I had mentioned it to her. So for, never mind. Okay. Um, upstairs, we need some lighting. On the north side, we need some landscaping. I don't know if you ever looked out the east side, that retaining wall. Someday we'll come and that will all... We won't have a choice about whether or not we're going to fill that hole in because it'll be filled in, right? Um, all the exterior entry doors are worn out. They're from France. They have a French character. They're temperamental... Kirby and I in a Kirby and I in a French restaurant. There's no lie. We were in a French restaurant. One, we were with you guys. I, yes, the waiter hands us the wine list, and I said to him, "Could you recommend a nice white wine?" He grabs that arm hand. He goes, "I do not drink white wine," and he walks away. <laughs> that, that's what our entry doors are like. Okay, all the way around. That's what it's like coming to work in the morning. Okay. And then there's all this stuff about the exterior. I mean, everybody's got a great idea. You know, people want a crucifix hung on the front door. Some people want a steeple. People want to put the bell outside. Some people want to brick the outside because the stucco is weird. Hey, me too. Win the lottery and give 10%, okay? Because all these things start to add up, right? So, you know, the reasonable things are about $2 bucks. So you just keep these two... And, of course, you can do the math. If you pay down the mortgage, then that frees up some money, and then we can start some projects, and then you see motion. And we can't do it all at once because John doesn't have any backup, and I don't want to worry about it, and you can't spend full time. But you see, but it'll all work together if you just sort of pay attention to it. So the governing board has basically said the first $2 bucks that comes in will go toward the mortgage, and then after that we'll start to start projects. So um, need a little help with the math? Two million bucks. Let's see, a million bucks is 40 of you times 25,000. Let's see. Let's see. This would be a hundred. Let's see. 10,000 times. You know, we can, you can do the math yourself, right? Um, part of the reason we started now is so you can have this tax year to give. I've got no idea, nor does anybody else, whether your taxes will be higher or lower. But some people will take, you know, we're going to extend this through 2019. So if you want three tax years to work, be my guest. 
You're going to start to get from us a mailer monthly. Um, we're going to mail you your envelopes rather than give them to you for a couple of reasons. One, it gives us a platform to communicate. There's going to be other things in there besides your envelope. So a few people have said, I'm not going to open it because I give electronic giving. Eh, that's the wrong answer because we're going to send other stuff in there. It's cheaper, it's more reliable, and it gets them out on a regular basis. And it's kind of like, like the old newsletter. You get to hear from us, okay? So you're going to get a mailer. It'll have your envelopes. This will be mid-December because it'll start for January. It'll have your envelopes. It'll have a CapCam envelope. It'll have information from us. For now, it'll probably be some CapCam information. But it could just be normal church information, reminders about things or projects that are happening or mission things to support. We'll use it as a way to communicate with you. Please open that, okay? Um, we're going to talk about this notion from Paul. I'll just read this very quickly to you. This is um, Acts 19. So, um, you know, it's this very interesting. And God did extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. The interesting thing about the Greek there is there's three words that are going on there. Extraordinary is really the word for, it just negates ordinary. So there's a word for ordinary, the ordinary things you do. Christ, scripture, prayer, the divine service, tithing, mercy, witness, all that kind of stuff. And then not ordinary means sort of beyond the ordinary. What's interesting is the opposite word for ordinary is not extraordinary. Ordinary means hit the mark. The word for sin is to not hit the mark. So Christians are ordinary. Christ, scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, tithing and alms, thorough mercy, winsome witness. That's ordinary life in the church. Occasionally you go beyond that and do something really cool like build a tabernacle. If you don't do that, that's the definition of sin. It's so interesting. So we'll talk about that through the year, okay? Um, I get, I'm running out of time, as I often do, and I don't want to come back to this next time because um, I don't want to... Here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you. I'm going to go to 11, but I think I can say everything that I want to say. For you who have done this before, you've heard this before, okay? For you who are new, and that could be as many as a third of you, or a third of the congregation, this could be a little nerve-wracking, okay? I don't want it to be nerve-wracking. This is what it's not. Your pastor's going to show up, SOC or W-2, and demand 10%, right? That's what it's not, okay? Here's what I can tell you. When Jesus was picking numbers, he picked 10%. And then something more for the poor. That's what Jesus did. So that's the number Jesus picked, and that's the number Jesus himself gave because Jesus kept the law perfectly, and it works. Okay? Forget about trying to law this up. And, you know, I can just tell you, at 2.7%, the Missouri Senate doesn't work. At 1% to 2%, where most denominations are, the church is collapsing in on itself. If we go that way, it'll be the end of everything. Okay, so don't do it not because, you know, your pastor is like this at you. I just, it just doesn't work, right? If you're hitting your thumb with a hammer, one of the options is to stop hitting your thumb, right? I mean, it's a good option. So now here's what I want to say to you. And that's why this 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I can't do all this now because I'm going to run out of time. But here's the deal. Life looks different at each point. So try to find yourself in this story. When you're 20, it's shocking. You get a paycheck and you have to pay taxes. And I got two kids in California. Their tax rates run about 40%, right? Yeah, nice, right? I wish I could live there. 
uh, on welfare. But, uh, you know, because I'd, like I'd like the river to run the other way. So, um, you know, when you're 20s, you kind of got it going. You're not making as much money. What happens normally to people is that their careers kind of take off. And at their 30s or 40s, they bump into a promotion and often a big raise. And, but you got to be thinking in your 20s into your 30s so that you get used to finding a number. You know, I used to, with everybody who got married, I used to talk with money about them. And then, like, people can't think about anything when they're getting married. So I didn't do this. But really what... You know, all they care about is, you know, the donuts they're having at the reception instead of a cake. I can't, you know, you got to, you got to, you know. So here's the thing. You should, you should pick a number. You should pick a number moving towards 10. Some of you can just pick 10 right now, and that's fine. Pick that number. Otherwise, pick a number and be disciplined about it. And that's the most important thing, right? Pick your number. What I don't want you to do, and this will be, we'll actually probably screen for this and not allow it. If you get $5,000 a year and you decide to get 4000 in the plate and 1000 in the cap camp, eh, thank you for playing, right? That's the wrong answer, okay? The cap camp is something else. So there's two parts, your ordinary giving. When you're younger, you've got to move into it. For you who are older, and occasionally I get very sweet emails from people who have been very good givers, and they say, I'm retiring or my income is changing, and so we're going to give less. I'm like, exactly right. If that's your circumstance, you give from what the Lord puts into your hand. Exactly right. Here's the biggest thing. You've got to struggle with it, not against it. You're aiming at 10 plus, right? 10 plus something for the poor. 10 plus alms. That's where you're going. It's going to take you a while to get there. Once you get there, for some of you, frankly, the number is 15 or 20, right? Because that's the way the Lord has blessed you. For some of you, the number isn't 10. For some of you, the number is 2 or 3, but on the way, right? You're on the way. And so this is an exercise in kind of looking at what the Lord has given you, moving ahead, like figuring out where you're going. And I just tell you, the church doesn't work at, at, at less than 10, the church doesn't work. The evidence is all around you. It's in the collapse of the Western church, right? So what you want to do is not feel guilty about this. The other thing is, and I've already had, uh, you know, the word is out, so I've already had an email or two, um, positive and then desperate and some... You know, n- you know, negative. I, it's all going to come. I'm used to it. It's fine. So, you know, I got an email from somebody who said, hey, I, you know, I can't. And in this case, it is true because I know the circumstances. And you know what the answer is? Yeah, that's right. You can't. Here's what you can do. You can pray for me every day and pray for the congregation. And then at least put a dollar on the pledge card. Our goal for this whole thing is that everybody, 470 families who are active, all give something. The goal is not a number. So, yeah, we'd love to, you know, knock a couple of million bucks off the mortgage. Yeah, we'd like to fix some things up. The most important goal for us is that you go through the discipline of trying to figure this out, right? Honestly, right? Honestly. And so for people who just can't, yeah, we get that because you're right. It's not under the law. It is under gospel. But the hardest thing is money is one of the hardest things for people especially if you didn't grow up with good role models. It's one of the hardest things for people. It's easy to deceive yourselves. And um, sometimes you just have to pick a number and go with it and see if it works. Your pastors will help you. I promise you it's not going to be like this, right? And it's not out of desperation, but it is out of having a future and living together and see how much good we can do and being different from everybody else who's just collapsed, right? The church is just collapsing over the fact that everybody is too cheap to recognize what Jesus has done for them.
And you know what? You're all going to be in different places. I want to make sure that I say this. If your parents never taught you, if you've never done it, if your kids are really sick, if you've lost a spouse and are kind of... Yeah, there are a thousand things that can go wrong. I get all of that. See, so we don't say, hey, we're popping in to take 10%. Let's see your bank account. That's not what we're saying. Normal Christian life is 10% plus something wrong. If you've really been blessed, your number's probably 20 or 25% plus something for the poor. If your kids are sick, if, you've, you know, if you never knew, if nobody ever had this, it's like, it's like your parents never having the sex discussion with you. You know, you leave it up to me. Okay, I can have that discussion with you too if you want. But, you know, it's like somebody has to have this discussion with you, right? So here's the thing. Have a look at yourself. See what you can do. If you, can need, if you need some help, call a pastor. Um, enough is out that we're already fielding emails. It depends on your circumstances, individualized. It's not like this. It's like, come on, make this the greatest place in the world because we have just loads of, um, of good stuff. All right. Um, I'll talk to any of you. So, you know, here's your to-do. This is all the way to 13. Find your numbers. If you need some help, call a pastor. 14, remember success is best effort. You're doing your best, right? Now, really quick thing. Please use electronic giving if you can. It's so much better for the church. You're going to get envelopes in the mail. You can go over three years. For you have IRAs, um, you can give from that as your required minimum distribution. We have a couple of people doing that. If you need to give something other, gold bars, property in Monaco, you know, um, the crown jewels from England. We can take all of those things, but they have to go through John Crow, okay? If you want to write, you saw that Ted Kahn wrote a brilliant little thing in the bulletin today. A brilliant little thing. And I've got about seven of them in my pocket already. If you want to write for the bulletin on stewardship, on this, on what you're learning, please, 250 words or less, and I get to edit it. I'm a gentle editor, though, okay? Um, last thing. Like, there's no place I'd rather be. And this makes this so, it just makes it so good, right? It just makes it so good. It, we have, we'll talk more about this. This is just the start, it's not the end. But we're in such a good position. We're in such a good position, but to do so much good, right? So much good. And that's, that's what we want to do, right? For, you know, for the church, for the families that are here, for other people. So tithing to kind of keep the church going and alms for the poor and everything else that you do. So let's try to all pull on the same end of the rope. If you need some help, call a pastor. But we want to do this wholly under the gospel and not under the law. And we want to do a good job of it because the possibilities really are endless. And frankly, for me, I'm not going to be around that much longer. I'd like to get some things knocked out before I'm out of here. And one of the things that haunts me at night is that three and a half million bucks. I'll just be honest with you. And if you get rid of that, the, the future opens up exponentially, right, with the way that people are generous around here. It's kind of one thing I'd like to tick off my list. So um, let's go, all right? Got to pray because we got to be down the aisle in six. He plays the organ at 11, whether we're there or not. That's the rule. So um, we're in desperate trouble right now. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, cheers. Thanks.